Hello, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago, and I love having amazingly super deep conversations with people about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. And today's guest is somebody that I don't know very well, but I know him just enough to know that he's wonderfully amazing, this sunshine and human form person, Rabbi Iggy. But before I get to telling you a little bit about him, let me tell you how you can connect with us. One of the best ways to connect with me is on Instagram at Head Heart Therapy. You can also find us there at Head Heart Therapy on Facebook. You can connect with Conversations with a Wounded Healer directly at Wounded Healer, and that's W O. Let's see, how do I spell this? W O U N D E D H E A L R. You can also connect with us at both those names on Twitter as well. You can also, if you're a super fan of the podcast and you appreciate what we do and you would like to contribute, even though I know times are tough out there, so no pressure, anybody. But if you'd like to contribute to the podcast financially, you can find us at Patreon, where anybody can go and make donations. It's regular monthly donations, so you can't make a one-time donation, but your donations can be as little as $1 a month. So Wounded Healer podcast is on there. There are tons of other amazing artists and spiritual seekers and teachers and all kinds of peeps out there doing great stuff on Patreon. So go check us out there if you like. Now, let me tell you more about Rabbi Iggy. So Rabbi Iggy is a renowned Talmud teacher, spiritual counselor, artist, and educator. He grew up in between Belgium, Israel, and the United States in a traditional Jewish Orthodox home. He's a frequent author, speaker, teacher, and contributor on subjects ranging from Talmud, Jewish text, spirituality, addiction, recovery, fatherhood, and LGBTQI issues. Today, he's the founding rabbi and CEO of Teshuva Center, a new long-term Jewish recovery community in Brooklyn. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. So please enjoy my time with Rabbi Iggy. Rabbi Iggy. Hello. <laughs> I'm so happy to see your face today. I'm happy to see yours and yeah. that beautiful blue hair. Oh, thank you. I did one time I got my hair done, but not in a salon because that is terrifying. Yeah. I have yeah. not stepped foot into a place with other people right now. Hell no. That's right. They right. just roll back in California, all the inside. Just today. Oh, you're in California? No, but I, oh. the governor of California just decided today, he was like, you know what? Just kidding. This is too dangerous. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. barbers, restaurants, bars, gyms, like yep. go back to your shell. Yep. Absolutely. So for folks listening, obviously we are recording this during the pandemic. <laughs> so welcome to more pandemic talk. But do you want to tell people how we met? Sure. It's our anniversary soon, right? It is our anniversary soon. OMG. (laughs) So we met about a year ago at a conference. In fact, the largest and I think most important conference on the East Coast for recovery, recovery services, recovery addiction. And we (laughs) were at a party. It's so weird talking about parties these days. Like, I you know, know, I would like, can you imagine that house now? Like we would walk I would in die. and I'd be like, I mean, you actually quite literally. I would, would probably literally, <laughs> right. Quite literally, so like die 14 days after. But right. so we were at this conference and fortunately, unfortunately, like any conference, it's really all about the parties and the networking right. at the conferences. Shout out, CSAD. So we 
we're at this party, which was pies and ice cream. And we're there standing with my chief creative officer with Ben. And in you walk. <laughs> and Ben and I were like, we need to be friends with that person. Yeah. It, it did not matter at all. Right. right. You know, it's funny because I have many faults. But one of the great gifts that sort of God has given me is that I get to see people's soul. Yeah. I get to sort of yeah. see who they are, even from a little bit of from a mile away. And it's a great gift. It's also greatly exhausting because like I got to see everybody, everybody else's soul in the house. And some of it like mm, needs a little cleaning. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm mm -hmm. mostly joking. But we saw you and I'm like, I need to know that person. Of course, it helps that sort of right. you had this beautiful haircut and like this purple hair and you walked in with such confidence and everybody else was so drab. Well, not everybody else. A lot of other people. Sorry. Some people were very cool. Right. A lot of people were drab. I stand um, out. I stand out. But it wasn't just the physical standing out. There was something there. And basically, I think we just went up to you and says like, hi. We're Iggy Let's and Ben be and we're friends. Like it wasn't, I don't think yeah. even it was a question. I think we yeah. just like posed the facts. Like, where are you from? We're friends like, now. You're like, we're like Chicago. Okay, we're coming. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I think it was Ben who literally said, and we're friends. Right, exactly. So between me and my Jewishness, right? So like, that was it. So, and that's it. And we've been friends ever since. Right. Oh, thank you. It's. It's really lovely to hear. I didn't imagine you would describe me that way. And that's really touching. Thank you. And I, yeah, instantly I just took one look at both of you and was like, yes, it's on. <laughs> well, tell the listeners more about who you are and what you do so we can like really dig into the stuff. So I am the founder and the spiritual leader of a residential spiritual recovery community called the Chuba Center here in New York and Brooklyn. For many years, I was working at a similar facility in Los Angeles called Betchuva. I was the director of spiritual counseling. And when I moved to New York, I decided to create a space that is dedicated to promoting recovery from all sorts of different addictions. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But not just sort of the, the basic recovery elements of people, but to create a space where people don't need to fit in, but to create a space where people belong. We've learned from you and Hari that the opposite of addiction is connection. And connection is felt and sustained in the most powerful way through community. And there's mm -hmm. few communities that are built around this principle in general. And I wanted to set a community that lives around these three principles of spirituality, community, and recovery. And spirituality is the lens that sort of we look at addiction. We believe the spirituality, mm -hmm. that addiction is a spiritual malady, that yes. it starts as a spiritual void, as a sense of eroded self that feels that one does not matter or when, right. when God made us, he made junk somehow. And our way to work through and allow people to find recovery and mostly sustain recovery is through connection and through the ability to gain, create, and maintain a spiritual practice. So for some, spirituality evokes religion, but we are in many ways sort of spirituality without per se religion, even mm -hmm. though I am Jewish and I'm a rabbi, and the lens that we use at the Chuva Center is a Jewish lens, but it is a lens that is over 3,000 years old that revolves around text, practice, ritual, and community. So we've been doing this for quite some time and 
we are very successful in allowing people who've tried many other things to really connect and find a way to maintain and sustain their sobriety and their recovery because we're not looking at just through this medical model, this clinical model, but really try to see, the, like I said, the soul of a person. Who are you? Why are you here? What is your mission in life? What can you do that nobody else is supposed to do, even if somebody else can do it better? What right. is your mission in life? And when we created more and more space for that, we discovered a lot of people who need to discover their passion, to find out who they are, to connect to that and to connect to their own recovery in a deep and meaningful way that mm -hmm. allows them to see themselves as part of a larger scope and not just as somebody who's struggling and trying to hold on, but somebody who can thrive through and with their recovery. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And there are so many things that I want to ask about, but I, I want to note for listeners, you mentioned Johan Hari. And mm -hmm. so for listeners, after you're done with this podcast, of course, then go Google everything you know about addiction is wrong and watch his TED talk. Mm -hmm. And you can also read his book, Chasing the Scream, which was the first time I was introduced to Gabor Mate, who really thinks about addiction as a disease born from trauma and all sorts of things. So go down the rabbit hole. Y'all will really enjoy that. Back to our scheduled interview. <laughs> it's funny, by the way, you say that because, right, sort of Gabor Mate and all that. And one of the things that sort of, and this is very anecdotally, so this is not scientifically researched, but throughout my work with people in addiction uh, and recovery, there are three main groups that appear. One, and you just said it, is it, and that sort of people who went through trauma, right? Emotional, physical, spiritual trauma which is makes a lot of sense if you survive to read the literature and understand that you know that. But the second group is people who have learning differences. Mm. And then the third group is people who have been adopted. Mm. And when thinking about it... Which right, adoption is trauma. All of them are trauma, but I right. think all of them have the same mechanism, which is something's broken in me. I'm not wanted. I'm yeah. not worth it. Something in me is not okay. And the same mechanism for all three creates that, what we call the hole in the soul. Right. Which we right. try and fill with all sorts of different things, right? My little shtick that I've learned from Rabbi Mark is sort of right to sort of that when you reach for the gym beam on the top shelf, it says on the bottom, distilled spirits. Yeah, right. Right. It's a spiritual yeah. problem. Right. Absolutely. And with the trauma piece, so one of the things that Gabor Mate says is that like trauma is disconnection from self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's also what one of my mentors, Lawrence Heller, says. He He's the founder of NARM, Neuroeffective Relational Model, which listeners have heard me talk so much about. But NARM is all about reconnecting with self. And that's something that gets so lost. And and when I say self, I'm kind of meaning like higher self and the energetic like most authentic. It's it's hard to say, like, because there is no one authentic self, but you know what I mean. Self with a capital yeah. S. But as itself, a higher and a lower self, right? So like sort of young, like right shadow work mm -hmm, and all that. Mm -hmm. But I think the disconnect, right, is at the core of a lot of addictions that split the sort of sense that sort of we, we are somehow broken. And so there's a split within us and that we try always to be a higher self without acknowledging the lower self. We always try to be the good boy, the good girl and all that, right? There's a great book, Excellent Sheep. I don't know if you mm. heard it, but like, you know, really, mm -mm. it's about the education of the elites in America, which is very fascinating. But one of the interesting Ooh. elements within the book 
is they describe, right, a lot of people in that particular case, sort of young women who are always taught to be good girls, right? Yeah. Or good boys, right? Yeah. And then you hold on, right? You high school mm-hmm. and the lacrosse and the extracurricular and whatever and the, the social service. And then you go to mm. college and you do the things and you and you get the grades and you come home and then you're supposed to like, right, get your master's in like social work or something or, or get married, like, right? Sort of this mm-hmm. holding on to the higher self. Like, I'm just good. I'm just good. I'm just good. And we forget that we have a whole other part of ourselves that we, if we don't address, we suppress and suppression <laughs> doesn't work. And then it comes out through addiction and other sorts of maladjusted behavior, right? So, look, so alcohol, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, mm-hmm. porn, lust, shopping, yep. food, gaming, right? Even an addiction, what I call to low-grade misery. People who are addicted Mm -hmm. to that, like, yeah, nothing's good. Like, oh, no, that will work for me. Like, oh, I tried that. Or this is horrible. I don't like this. Like, right. So, all the people with, like, you know, the impossible problem, that's an addiction. And you said, God, I'm having such problem tracking today. That's okay. I can talk forever. So, it's, I know, right. I know, right. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be back. Whatever. Well, tell us how you came to work with addiction? What was the road? Or actually, you know what? Start back at the beginning. So Iggy was born and then like, <laughs> how did you get to where you are? Tell us the the fun winding, <laughs> that is, winding path. That is a, I think we need like four or five podcasts for that. So I was born in Belgium. Oh, really? That's, that's the funny accent. White supremacy. That was it. We'll come back to white supremacy. Somehow Belgium made me think of right, white supremacy. Like, what? What? Was the born? Was the Belgium? Was the accent? Like which part of the white? <laughs> like that's sort of like brought in white supremacy. But you know, yeah, I, I will right. chuck it to the maze of memory and not to the right. uh, triggering elements of my personality. So I was born in Belgium, and I was born to a ultra orthodox family, right? So, so for those people who know what in Jewish ultra orthodoxy is, right? So like big hats, pairs, black and white, you know, if you see Stiesel or Unorthodox on Netflix. Yeah, right, Unorthodox was woof. Yeah, so that's that's my people or were my people. And I was brought up to a very conservative capital C family. My life was pretty much set from day one. My family is a well-established family in Europe, family of means. And I sort of was really good at like, you know, reading stuff and teaching and learning and Talmud and which is the kind of the main coin within Jewish life. And my path was pretty much set towards sort of rabbinical world and all that. And I was, am different. My personality is different. I hate to be told what to do. I hate rules. If you tell me to go right, I'll go left just to see what happens. I like pushing mm-hmm. buttons. I am what's Yiddish called an uberchuchum, right? So like a wise ass, like I always know best. I'm that annoying guy that walks in the room and thinks that he's the smartest person in the room. <laughs> uh, that's me. But somehow you have humility too. So good job on that. I try, you know, at least know thyself. <laughs> Right, I think is right. is the first step. Like I never hide behind something I'm not, and I'm willing to yeah. acknowledge my my challenges and my and my successes because yeah. I think that sort of authenticity comes at a price. You have to come with it, willing to pay it, which is comes back by the way to the spiritual thing. Right, I believe that when you start work on the self, you have to open a spiritual bank account, and you mm. have to invest into that bank account mm. because you're going to have to have to draw checks from. 
And some of them are big, you know, heartache, loss, pandemic, trauma, bad days. And, and you have to write those checks and there has to be currency. That's virtual bank account. Without it, you'll be in trouble, just like a regular bank account. And I think authenticity, living authentic life is one of the ways to put currency in it because you're going to write the check. It's going to hurt, right? You got to, your fridge breaks, you have to write a check for a fridge. It hurts. Like, you don't, but you got to have it. So my life was set in that sense, but I was, I was rebellious and asked too many questions. And, <laughs> and then also I was gay and I didn't know really what that meant. I didn't have almost any role models. I thought something was mm-hmm. wrong with me at some point, of course, this, and this is such a cliche. And I got really angry. I got angry in the world. I was constantly angry. I used to get into fights. I was very violent as a kid. And I didn't really know what was going on until much later. But I kind of went through the motion. But I realized that through everything I was doing, I constantly was running away from things. I would start something and run away. Start something mm-hmm. and run away. Start something. And I could usually get away with it because, again, I was intelligent and I was really good with words and I was charming and blah, blah, blah. You know, I was well brought up. Again, my family had money. And so I, I knew how to schmooze. I knew how to blag. Yeah. I'll jump through a lot of different things that sort of I was not very proud of and things, but, you know, like drug-filled nights in London and escapades around Europe and in Israel and like doing a lot of shit that I shouldn't have done. And I eventually, I'll skip a thing, I was I was recruited to teach in San Francisco, in San Francisco for a while, partner, kids, you know, the whole thing. And I thought, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing sort of this. And then I moved to L.A., and I lost myself. I didn't know mm-hmm. who I was anymore. The things I defined myself with kind of went away. The kids were getting older. I was really depressed. I also moved to, to LA with knowing no one. Mm-hmm. It was a real exercise in loneliness. I was alone all the time. I'm an extrovert, so, so that was not mm-hmm. good for me. And I didn't know what to do. And Eventually, I started teaching and sort of meeting some people here and there, but, but I was still pretty much lost. And then one day, I was invited to this place called Betchuva. And I went there to try and see if that's a good place to, sort of, to do some of my teaching because, you know, I was just doing some teaching because that was something I was good at. And I met somebody who last time I saw him was when he was 17 years old. And when he was 17 years old, he was a camper and I was a unit head. And he had this episode and I sat and spoke with him for a long, long, long time. And he's like, oh my God, Iggy. And I'm like, oh, how are you? And he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, you know, I might be teaching a class here. I don't know. We'll see. I just moved to LA, blah, blah. And he said, do you know that that conversation we had, I don't know, 20 years ago, I think about you and that conversation almost every day. Oh. And I'm like, wow. Hmm. And he said, everything you said, you're right. <laughs> but oh. absolutely everything. How do you feel about being a spiritual counselor? And I'm like, what's that? And, you know. So you're um, not a rabbi yet at this time. No, I, 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 so I went to rabbinical school at that point mm-hmm. before. But like, again, I ran away from rabbinical school. Again, it's a long mm-hmm. story. But like, just before my ordination, I was like, peace out. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. As usual with me. As usual, like I mm. did that, moved away, started something, went, established something, then went for thing. I got bored, mm-hmm. you know. And I used to say to myself, like, oh, I have ADD, like I get bored so fast, blah, blah. No, I was running away. I was running away from myself. And I was like, all right, sure. <laughs> and for the first time working with people, I 
felt the human condition in the most profound way. For the first time, my life made sense. For the first time, everything I learned, all my knowledge, all my wisdom, all my experience, all my travel, all my exposure to different gurus, to different imams, right? Because at some point I was like tracking around the world, trying to find some nugget of truth. I went to India, I went to Tibet, I went to Rome, I went to Izmir, I went to Istanbul, I went all over the place to try and find something that felt true for me. And I remember this guy walking into the room six foot, 1,000, African-American man, just released, uh, juvenile delinquent, 22 mm. years in prison, double account mm. murder. Oh, jeez. Right? The man that every grandmother warns you about. <laughs> right? And all I could see was a young boy. In his eyes, all I could see was a frightened man who is as clueless and frightened about the human condition in life as I was. And I connected more to him and people like him who are willing to say, I'm struggling, who are willing to say, I'm having a bad day or bad life. I don't know what to do. I feel shame and guilt and I am marred with my past and all I want to do is run away to the bottle or the needle or whatever it is. And all these people I met, I felt were far closer to my soul than a lot of other people that I grew up with. Mm. And I started talking and creating ways and systems and actionable things to allow people to find more recovery. I'm a very boots on the ground person. I don't like wishy-washy, lifty-lofty conversation about, well, you have to find your true self. I'm like, yeah, but how do you do that? Right. Like, what right. does that mean? What if my true self is a colander? Like, I don't know what that means. You know, like, I, you know, stop that, right? Sort of like, oh, namaste, divine in me, divine in me. Uh -huh. What divine in me? I need to go pee. Like, what divine? You know, I sit in meditation, right? And I'm like, some days I'm there, but some days like, oh, I'm hungry. Mm. Mm. I want, I want ice cream. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, is this the moment? Oh, shit. I just missed the moment. Oh, where's the Zen moment? Where, is this the moment? Ah, it's not the moment. Ah, shit. I'm hungry. Like, right? <laughs> sort of like. When's that... your birthday? Can you want to guess? You a Gemini? No, I'm a Leo. Oh, okay. Duh. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have spent now my professional and in fact, my entire life. I trained for this. My entire life I trained mm -hmm. to sort of define yeah. ways to explain and talk to people and say like, how do we want to find meaning in life? What is the quest of meaning? What is an examined life? And how do I help myself and others find it, right? And maintain it and get inspired. This whole like, oh, God will show you the way. Well, God has not spoken to me or anybody else for 2,500 years. So you know what? I got to find my way myself. I can be inspired by God. I can be inspired by divinity and all that. But in Hebrew, we say tachlis. Like, come on. Like, and now what? So mm -hmm. that's how we got to it. Yeah. And I like to think about if I have a relationship with my higher power, then I do know the answers because my higher power helps me find that. At least that's what I get in my connection. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that is such an important point to make. All the answers are already in you. Yeah. If you are trying to find answers somewhere external than you, then you are, I'm sorry, but you're not doing it right. The most toxic sentence in the English language, right, is I'll be happy when. 
I'll be happy when I get the car. I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I have my first child. I'll be happy when I get this puppy. I'll be happy when I earn my first million. I'll be happy when this pandemic is over. Like whatever it is. As soon as you say that sentence, you've lost the battle. Right. Because happiness is a choice. And it's a choice for now. And there's ways to get there. Right. Gratitude, mindfulness, and all that. Yeah. And I want to say just to people, because I can completely relate to really struggling to find connection with happiness and compassion and all those good things right now. And there can be so much in the way, but that doesn't mean that there's no access to it. I truly believe that when we are separated from happiness and joy and compassion and all those good things, it's really there's just layers of shit on top of our true self that really does know how to access that. That's right. And Happiness is not a room. Compassionate is not a place. Mercy is not a state. It passes. It passes like anger, Mm -hmm. like hunger, like like horniness, like frustration, anxiety. These are all emotions. And you have to observe them. One of my favorite verses in the, the Bible is from Proverbs. And it says, a worry in a man's heart, you should converse with it. Right? You should you should have a conversation with it. It's there for a reason. When you're anxious, right, it's not a wasted emotion. There's something going on for you. Right. If it's stress, if it's fear, also if it's happiness, but there's a reason for them. Mm. And you have to allow it to bubble up and to observe it, not to go down the rabbit hole, no Mm -hmm. ruminations. And again, there's ways to do that, but to really acknowledge our existence and acknowledge our feelings and acknowledge that we are human and we have to go through it, through these emotions. They're not there to harm you. They're there to educate you mm-hmm. and you have to learn something from them. And when you are able to create spaces in your life that you're able to both listen, observe, ritualize and create spaces to to learn and to grow, you are able to make peace with those with those emotions and with the other ones that come with it because all the major emotions have a right or attached to them, right? You're, you're right. as a therapist know this, more, right? There's mm-hmm. no just happy. When you say, I love you at the back, there's, I'm, I'm, what am I going to do if something happens to you? Right. When somebody has died, God forbid, and there's, there's a grief, many times there's also relief with it. And we can't be ashamed that there's other emotions attached to them. That's what it is. And I think for a lot of people, they go to a party, right? They got promoted and they're like, why don't I feel what everybody else has looked like? Right. What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you, baby. Right. Everybody's feeling exactly the same way. They're just not talking about it. Exactly. Which is honestly part of why I have the podcast, especially specifically for people who want to be therapists, because Mm -hmm. even when you're a therapist, you're going to have all of the feelings and all of the fears and all of it. (laughs) It doesn't go away. And so I want to be really honest with what this can look like and really encouraging people to keep doing their work because it just doesn't end. Right. All right. So white supremacy. Now I need to know where we... How yeah. did you get to what's <laughs> You said you said something about like I heard in it a lot of the ideals of white supremacy when you were saying like we have to show up in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And it was like I heard perfectionism because you were talking about the elites, right? right. And all of right. all of these ways that we're supposed to be achieving and goal oriented and all that kind of stuff. And that's white supremacy. And that's that's the ways that white supremacy hurts white people and hurts mm-hmm. people who don't identify as people of color because I've been having a lot of conversations on the podcast about white supremacy with people of color, but trying to also communicate why white people need to be doing something about it. I think that white supremacy sells a dream. It sells Mm. an ideal that like if you 
don't acknowledge the sick, the infirm, mm-hmm. the orphan, the ugly, mm-hmm. then you will have the life that you think you deserve. Right. If I create a Stepford village and everybody looks like me and speaks like me mm-hmm. and right and all manicured and it's all beautiful, mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with then my inner world. I don't have to deal with pain or suffering or anxiety because everything's great. What right. are you complaining about? Right. And white supremacy, it's like a drug. It says, yeah. you don't have to feel it, babe. Right. Every time you're feeling awkward, take a swig. Mm -hmm. White supremacy. Mm -hmm. Every time you're feeling you're depressed. Every time you feel like, oh, you failed at this and you didn't do well enough. Take a swig. White supremacy. That will make you feel Mm -hmm. good. Because like Mm -hmm. those feelings, awkwardness, fear, right? Otherness is not something you should be feeling. Right. And I think a lot of people, much like addicts, don't want to feel those feelings. You don't want to look in the mirror and be like, what have I done? Not a lot. And I don't know how to feel gratitude for what I have. And I always am jealous of the other person. I'll be happy when X, Y, and Z. Take a swig. White supremacy. And patriarchy. <laughs> That's right. White supremacy, mm-hmm. patriarchy. Like, yep. right, so like really sort of like all the different elements that refuse to acknowledge that life is about struggle. Not in a depressing way, but life is about the journey and life is about the struggle to balance all these different forces within us. Mm -hmm. Life is this sort of supreme journey of finding moments to set aside, finding moments of the sacred, to allow ourselves to enjoy both the, the ocean and a butterfly, but also the love we have for one another, the Mm -hmm. fear we have for our children, right? The fleeting parts of life, the fact that we're all going to die, right? And acknowledge that there is otherness and that we all suffer. We've all had heartaches. Mm -hmm. We've all feel insecure. We've all feel inadequate. We all feel we didn't matter. Whether you are six foot five, blonde, blue eyed, you know, beautiful, rich person in, I don't know, Beverly Hills or I don't know, Nebraska, mm-hmm. or you are right sort of like the downtrodden people in anywhere in sort of like a slum in the world. We're all human in that sense. And white supremacy tries to pretend that you're not. It says yeah. you don't have to feel those feelings. Right. Because if you earn enough money and you're successful enough that you can bypass it. That's right. Or if you belong to this gang, right? Mm -hmm, The the KKK mm -hmm. is a fucking gang. You're a gang and you're no better than any of the other gangs in any other cities. You're setting the same stupid pipe dream. Belong to us. We will protect you. Right. Right. We are the best at this and they don't know us. Right. Okay, that's just making me think, too. Like, again, if there's a if there's a welcoming space for the other. Right. Like if we really actually celebrated the diversity of humankind, then nobody would be othered. And like that gang analogy is so perfect because I can think of like the incels who feel like they've been, you know, wronged by women. And so I've, you know, I've got to find my people and and like an organization like the KKK are going to welcome that anger in and just like fuel the anger. Wow, that's mm-hmm. such a great connection. I'm not going to look at, right, sort of like my failures. I'm going to blame the Jews or the blacks or the browns or whatever it is, mm-hmm, right? I'm going to blame mm-hmm. anybody else. If we've learned anything from recovery, is mm-hmm. that as soon as you blame somebody else and don't look at your own part in it, then the work is is not as strong. Right. Because yes, you can be a victim. 
something can happen, right? You walk down the street, God forbid, somebody mugs you or worse, you're a victim. It happens. It happens all mm -hmm. the time everywhere in the world. But then you have a choice if you decide to live in victimhood. Right. If you let that define you, if you find that to be an excuse to be harsh on other people or dismissive of other people or racist or right, anti-Semite or homophobic, whatever it is, that is when you're living in victimhood and you won't take any responsibility in your wellness. Not in what's happened to you. It's not your fault. But now do you take responsibility in your wellness? That's what I said before about the addiction of low-grade misery. Yeah. You gain something from it. You don't want to take responsibility for getting better. You think that better will come from the outside again. I'll be happy when I get right. better, when they get the pill, when somebody mm -hmm. fixes me. And I'm like, fuck no. Like, you know, if you're not doing the work, I'm not doing the work for you. Exactly. I wanted to ask you how, and I'm looking at my phone because there's a picture that I wanted to read. I'm curious how you're doing right now in terms of all that's going on with racism and racism, I think, equals anti-Semitism and, and yes. all of that. And I've had conversations with a couple Jewish people where there's this, again, this otherness where they want to be part of the fight and then there's discrimination against them. So one of my friends posted this on Facebook the other day. I'll show you the picture here oh, so yes. you can see. And it says, first they came for the LGBTQ and I stood up because love is love. Then they came for the immigrants and I stood up because families belong together. Then they came for the people of color and I stood up because Black Lives Matter. Then they came for me, but I stood alone because I am a Jew. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Good sigh. I'm sorry to laugh, but that was just... No, no. Yeah. It's, it comes from the heart. So first, like kudos on the positive spin on Martin Niemöller's first they came for me, right? Sort of the, the mm -hmm. original one is, right? Sort of like a Holocaust part of from this pastor, Martin Niemöller, right? And then when they came for me, there was nobody to stand up for me. So so I like the positive spin on that. Unfortunately, I, I agree with that. I, yeah. Unfortunately, I agree. There is a an edict, an axiom in Jewish life from the Mishnah that says, it is not your responsibility to finish all the work, but you mm. are not allowed to desist from it. That we are living always for now 3,000 years in this tension between like, I can't fix the entire world, but I'm also not allowed to then say that I can't and I don't want to do anything. Right. It hurts me to no end that, especially the last few days, right? The sort of while there's been a huge strong support for the plight of, you know, BIPOC and Black Lives Matter and all that by a lot of Jews and stuff. That when the NFL player who says anti-Semitical things, I don't see, and also right. I don't see Black Lives Matter sort of staying a statement. This is horrible. I don't see other organizations do that. I mean, some do, not everybody, right? Sort of, right. Mm -hmm. But I'm not saying this is a condemnation. I get it, but it hurts me. But it also reaffirms my, my belief in my work towards having a more just world because I want to live in a more just world. Yeah. Not just because for Jews, right. right? But because I want to live in a more just world. And a more just world perhaps will also be more just for people like me for Jews. No one is free until everyone is free. That's right. So that's why I stand for LGBTQI, right? I'm gay and I'm a rabbi and all that. And, and you know, I stand for Black Lives Matter. I stand for, right, for people of color. I stand for all the people who are, have felt marginalized 
and in that otherness. And that's true for people in addiction, right? That's true for the homeless. Mm -hmm. That's true for people who are coming out of incarceration. That's true for a lot of people who do not get a chance to really shine because nobody really want to look at them. They're looking at the box that they came in. But I, I wish there was more of that, of that mm-hmm, talk, but mm-hmm. it's not going to stop me from trying to create a better world for me and my children. Mm-hmm. But again, I think the positive side of it is that we all have work. Nobody's perfect. We all have work to do. All the organization, everybody else have work. And I'm not afraid of the work I need to do. It's a chance for me yeah. to grow and to learn. It's a chance for me to see, okay, this is, this is where I want to go. Now, what do I need to get there? Because eventually, right, like we said, it's, it's part of the journey. I don't know that there'll ever be a finish line. My grandfather, right, who, who's died many years ago, has taught me that to your grave, you cannot take your car, your wife, your clothes, your watches, right, whatever. Right. The only thing you take with you is your name, is who you are. Hmm. So that's my journey, right? So we will stop when God Almighty decides that this is my moment. And in that sense... If I've moved my entire life towards a place of more equality, of more equanimity, of Mm -hmm. more compassion, of more understanding, then, you know, I'll be happy. I go to bed every night very content with what I've done because I've asked myself three questions every day. What did I do for myself? What did I do for my community and Mm -hmm. family? And what did I do for the larger world? And if I can't answer them truthfully, then I know what the work for the next day is. Mm, I love that. And just to think about, I mean, this is kind of vulnerable to admit this in terms of, you know, people standing up for Jewish people and anti, you know, against anti-Semitism. I think I know I can say Jews are white, quote unquote. I forget that you are an oppressed population. And I actually had an interview with a Jewish woman in I think Sweden And I was so struck by how close she still is to the Holocaust because her grandfather was in the Holocaust and survived. And the way that she spoke about it, I don't hear people in the United States talking about it that way. And I think part of why I think it's so easy for our society to have so much systemic racism because we weren't in it, quote unquote, right? And there's no historical memory specifically for white people and what a disservice that is for us to forget the importance of what happened and how it still affects you and other Jewish people. Absolutely. And it affects us here, right? I mean, because we're not just like people forget. We have people in the KKK, where I think, who actively says Mm -hmm. it didn't happen. You've made it up. (laughs) You're using it as a way to get the sympathy of the world, right? Holocaust deniers is a real thing and it happens all the time. That's All like Donald time. Trump. That's making so much more sense. Right. And oh there's people God. who are saying like, like saying, oh, anti-Semitism. And I say like they, the Holocaust. And they're like, oh, you're playing the Holocaust card. Right. <laughs> like, oh right. right. So I hear this all the time, unfortunately. Right. My grandfather was a survivor. Right. So I grew up in a house full of that. And again, so like you look at what's going on outside now. There was mm-hmm. just this one of the new logos for the t-shirts for the Trump yes. campaign that looks like Nazi Germany, right? right. The, the triangle that they tried to put on Facebook, which was part of the Nazi regime, the rhetoric that's sort of like sometimes, you know, people in, in what is now this GOP uh, saying, which is direct for Mein Kampf and stuff, like, right? So like we Jews recognize it. Now, I will say this, and there's a certain hubris to this, that I'm afraid for me and my children, everything. 
But I'm also part of me is like, you've tried to kill us for 2,500 years. <laughs> Fuck <Yeah>. you. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still here. Right. I'm still here. I'm still right. a rabbi. You've tried it in Egypt. You've tried mm -hmm. it in Israel. You've mm -hmm. tried it in Palestine. You've tried mm -hmm. it in Europe. Mm -hmm. You've tried it in Uganda. You've mm -hmm. tried it. You've tried it everywhere. You've tried it in Russia. You've tried it in Chechnya. You've done the programs. You've tried it in Spain. You've expelled us from Spain. You know, you've tried to kill us for thousands of years. And guess who's still here? We are. Yep. You call us cockroaches? Yes, we are. We will survive. <laughs> we will survive. Oh All the goodness. time we will survive. And where's the Roman Empire? <laughs> Byzantine Empire. Goodbye. Sumerian Empire. I don't know where they are. But mm -hmm. like, but guess who's here? Yeah, Jews. Mm -hmm. So, right. So, right. That's so great. I'll say something really horrible. Maybe like we're the herpes of nation. Like we can never get, you can never get rid of us. I know. Sorry for my fellow Jews. I don't mean it oh, that way. No. I don't mean it that way. Oh, I'm like, no. don't, don't come at me. Don't come at me. Don't uh, at me. Don't at me. But so there's an old joke that sort of that every Jewish holiday is like, you know, they came, they tried to kill us. They didn't succeed. Let's eat. Right. So like that, that's sort of like, <laughs> Right. Every Jewish holiday is like that. But I think that joking aside for all these things is, yes, that my culture, my religion, my faith, my, mm -hmm. my DNA, my structure, my society, my community has been around for a long time. We've seen mm -hmm. you guys, not you specific, right? We've seen the white supremacy, yep. the KKK, yep. the anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. We've seen you try it all, my friends, mm -hmm. all of it. And here we are, because we know what otherness is, because the yeah. Bible tells us what otherness is, because the Bible tells us to take care of the poor and the orphan and the widow, because it tells us what is the strength of community, because it tells us what is the strength of authenticity, because we know what covenant is and what making promises mm. are and what struggle is and what happens when everybody sees you for something that you are not and discriminates around you. We know mm -hmm. what that is. And that does not make us weaker. That right. makes us stronger. Vulnerability is not a weakness. It's a strength. I will only get hurt, right? If you call me a faggot or anything, if I didn't give it to you in the first place. Right. But if I say, hey, I'm a queer person, come at me. Mm -hmm. You're not going to hurt me with mm -hmm. your words. You think I haven't heard it before? Let me tell you all the different versions of this that I heard. <laughs> Let me tell you a better version. <laughs> exactly. Right. And there's yeah. strength in that because then mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I'm not, mm -hmm. I can see through your pain. I can see yeah. through what you're trying right. to hide. I can see through your feeling of mm -hmm. despair that you're trying to push on me and I won't have it. And in fact, you know what? I'm opening my arms. Come, I'll help mm. you. I'm not afraid. And that's a lot of strength. I'm not afraid. I will mm. always, if you come to me, and this is a true on for anybody who's listening. And you really want help. You want to mm -hmm. find what we call chuva. You want to find repentance. You want to find an answer. And you want to find a return to a self. That's what the mm -hmm. word in Hebrew means. Those three things. Repentance, response, mm -hmm. and coming back home. But if you want to find that, I will open my arms. No matter what you've done. In fact, in my office, I've had murderers, rapists, mm -hmm. drug dealers, prostitutes, con men. You name it. Yeah. Everybody, my grandmother warned me about. <laughs> right. Dude, I just want to keep talking to you forever, but there's limited time. And 
sure the podcast shouldn't be two hours. So I'll just ask you the question. Do you consider yourself a healer? Yes, I am. Mostly because I recognize that I have been given a great gift to help others be the best version of themselves, right? So when I get to see somebody's soul when they walk in front of me, I get to see what is the best version of themselves. And I, I sort of can, can then pave the way for them to try and get there in the attempted shortest way. <laughs> Not always. Right. Somet sometimes I'll take you around for a couple, for a couple loops just to sort of do, for you to do the work. But yeah. And sometimes people will take themselves around. Right. Absolutely. Not the least of which is me. Right. Mm -hmm, sort of not the least mm -hmm. of which is me. Right. So like I, I had to go again. I had to go to Tibet. I had to go to Rome. I had to work mm -hmm. in fashion. I had to work in, in art business. I, you know, mm -hmm. I've had like a thousand different lives in this, but you try to find out like, you know, where does Iggy fit in the world? And I was like, maybe here, maybe here, maybe here. But like mm -hmm. eventually, and this is the great irony of my life. I was told I'm going to be a rabbi at five years old and ta-da. <laughs> Here I am. Right? Like, God damn it. <laughs> Trust me that there's Literally. so much of that between me and my family. Be like, fist to the sky. Like, you're right after all. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, before we go, tell people where, where they can find you and learn more about you. Thank you. Yes. So I'm the founder of Chuba Center. So if you go on Instagram, the Chuba Center, one word. You can find us there. We have a link to everything else. You should check out my podcast, Tattoos and Torah, where we talk exactly about that. So we talk about things that don't seemly go with each other, right? I'm a rabbi. Awesome. I'm an immigrant. I have tattoos. Most people are like, wow, but Jews can't be buried in a cemetery. That tattoos. Not true. So I'm an enigma to a lot. So Tattoos and Torah is the podcast that talks about it. So check it out. Like I said, Chuba Center on, on Instagram and on our website, ChubaCenter.org. You can find us there or Not Your Rabbi, which is my personal Instagram or if you want to come at me on Twitter, it's IGALGM, I-G-A-E-L-G-M. We'll post all that stuff. Be respectful. Yeah, don't at me in a shitty way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't like, you know, come in with, a, with an argument. We'll talk, you know, right. it's a Jewish way. We'll debate and then I'll invite right. you over for dinner. But yeah. Don't just like, don't just tweet at me. That's, yeah, that's silly. Yeah. You know? But again, if you need to blow out your anger at me, uh, as they say in Yiddish, gig is the height. Do it. Come on. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> You're so much fun. This was just really thank great. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's just really amazing to be part of the conversation. I hope we can have more of that. I think so. Good. Thanks so much to Rabbi Iggy for joining us today. If you want to learn more about him and tattoos and Torah, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.